Hello and welcome to Studio Biz and All That Jazz. Today I'm excited because I am being joined by Mel Kettle. Now, Mel is someone that I've actually met through business networking and it's been a joy actually to get to know her because not only is she a wonderful human, but she's also the author of Fully Connected, which is how great leaders prioritize themselves, reclaim their energy and find joy. So yes, today we are going to talk about leadership and you know, I think it's a really important topic because in this conversation, we not only talk about leadership as a whole and we specifically relate it to studio ownership and our performing arts industry, but we also talk about conflict resolution, understanding your boundaries, you know, working with team and getting the most out of them, working with your students. So there's so much to explore. Now, Mel Kettle is an internationally recognized thought leader on fully connected leadership and communication. I believe you're going to really enjoy this episode and get so much out of it. So let's jump in. Hello and welcome to Studio Biz and All That Jazz. I'm your performing arts business coach and host, Josephine Langcuba. This show is designed to bring you inspiration, information, and the instruments you need to create and grow the studio biz of your dreams. I will bring you a mix of solo episodes, as well as interviews where I tap into the minds of industry experts. My career started as a performer over two decades ago. I later became a speaker, theatrical producer and talent manager, as well as having a successful teaching career in singing, drama and dance. Ten years into my professional journey, I became a mummer of two and with a baby on my hip, opened up my very own performing arts studio. From hardship and humble beginnings to four studio locations and a multi-six-figure performing arts biz, I know how to attract students and keep them coming back for more. And in the show, I will share with you my experiences to help you thrive and fast track your path to success. I know you have a spark inside of you with dreams and goals for the future. As your coach and mentor, I'm here to help you step into your limelight and be a cheerleader in your ear each and every week. So get ready to be entertained and inspired as we talk studio biz and all that jazz. Hello to the wonderful Mel Kettle, who is the author of Fully Connected. I am so excited to have you on Studio Biz and all that jazz. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, now uh, you sent me uh, this wonderful copy of the book and obviously those listening to audio can't see me holding it up. But fully connected, how great leaders prioritize themselves, reclaim their energy and find joy. So, you know, I think this is going to be a great conversation about leadership. And this is a very uh, important part of running a business, running a studio business, but any business really. And we're going to definitely discuss that. But before we jump into all of that good juicy stuff, um, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about your background and, and what you do? Oh, thanks. So my background is very is quite varied. I've done lots of things over the years, and I started out um, organizing conferences and events for a small conference management company. So I learned not only how do you run a good event and get bums on seats, but also how do you run a small business. And after three years of working with this company in Sydney, I was determined that I would never start a small business. Um, well, I did eighteen years ago. So here we go. <laughs> 
<laughs> and um, I know when I rang up that former boss and said, I've just quit my job, I'm starting consulting. She just laughed her head off for ages. So, <laughs> yeah. so I did that for a few years and um, and then I really burned out at the end of my fourth year. I was, I'd gone from working for a small business to working for a global marketing agency who had won the contract to run all of the events for Microsoft in Australia. And I headed up the team of six of us who did that. And it was an amazing opportunity, incredible experience, went to some fantastic places and completely burned out within about 10 months. So picked myself up, moved to Queensland, got the best job I've ever had the first day that I lived in Brisbane, which was the marketing manager for the Brisbane Festival, which is massive performing arts festival in Queensland. And um, did that for a year. I worked for the government for a couple of years after that and then decided not enough's enough. Need to hang up the shingle and do my own thing. So I started consulting 18 years ago, um, 18 years in July. I can't believe it's been that many years and it's the best thing I ever did. So as, um, as I'm sure your listeners who are also business owners know, being in, in business for yourself definitely has a lot of highs, but again, it can have some lows. And so hopefully today we'll talk about a few of those and how you can mitigate the lows and maximize the highs. Yeah, I love that so much. I love that you've actually had that experience as well in the performing arts space, you know. Mm. Um, Though, would you agree or disagree that it's, when it comes to leadership and communication, is it a universal language regardless of the industry you're in? It is and it isn't. Like I've worked across a lot of different industries and there's basic principles that you need to keep across regardless um, of what the industry is. But you need to think about who are the people that you're leading. And so um, are you leading a team or are you leading a board or are you and how are you managing up and how are you managing down and how are you dealing with external people so when I was with the festival for example I had a team who I worked with and we were very collaborative and I was definitely the newbie Um, I'd never worked in the arts industry the reason I got the job is because I'd never worked in Queensland I'd never worked in the arts industry Um, but I had done a lot of marketing and leadership roles and I also had a love of the performing arts and visual arts and that really came across so I had Um, a really clear understanding of a lot of the challenges from both, um, you know, from being a musician when I was younger and from going to the theatre and the ballet and the symphony and musicals and lots of different shows ever since I was a small child. So Mm. that love came across. Um, And one of the things that I think is really challenging in the arts industry that doesn't isn't a challenge so much in other industries is that people are in that industry because they're passionate about it. They love the arts. They love what their particular art form is. And so that can often uh, mean that you make decisions that are not necessarily commercially smart. And one of the reasons that I was brought into the Brisbane Festival is because I had a passion, but I also had the commercial savviness that meant that we made an enormous amount of money for the festival in that year um, when no other performing arts festival in Australia made money. So it was in 2000, it was the Olympics in Sydney, um, GST came in that year. There were lots of variables, um, but because I was really good at separating the money from from the passion, that was one of the reasons we did so well. Um, I love that. That year, yeah, and and that had been a challenge for the festival because the general manager of the festival and of QPAC had also been the artistic director since QPAC opened. 
And so now they have a very separate, they have two separate roles. They have a general manager or a CEO and they have an artistic director. And I feel that you um, sometimes need to have that separation. Even when you're a small business, you need to have someone you can talk to about the money because we're all in business to make money. And if you let your passion overtake that commerciality of what you're there for, then you might love what you do, but you might not be able to eat what you want to eat every night or pay your mortgage or pay your bills. You are speaking my language, Mel. You truly are. And I think this is such an exciting topic as well, because Mm. when it comes to the commercialization of the performing arts, and that's why we started these performing arts studio businesses, we run these programs, these classes, we're so passionate, but they are businesses. So it's so important that we do view them differently. And even from a small business perspective, really separate the artistic director yeah. <laughs> to that yes. CEO, business management, marketing. You know, these are these are the business savvy side of it. But yeah, I do love that you've brought that up. Now, I would love to know in your opinion when it comes to leadership, because you are an expert in leadership and communication. And, you know, I've been reading your book and thank you so much again for sending that to me. Um, what what matters most and what do you think works in a small business environment? And this is where we're going to start talking about one of the things that matters across every kind of leadership, whether you're leading the children who you're teaching in your studio or whether you're leading their parents or whether you're leading your staff. Um, You need to show up with your best self every day. And I know that sounds like a total cliche. Um, And if you're listening to this, you could probably hear my super croaky voice. (laughs) Um, because I have not been looking after myself as much as I could have. And so I've come down with this hideous cough, cold, throat thing. Not COVID, tested for that the other day, thank God. You're doing well. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But if we don't show up physically and emotionally and mentally and spiritually in the right state, in the right state for us, then we're never going to be the leader that we want to be. And so I think the number one thing that we need to be aware of is what are we doing to prioritize ourselves? What are we doing so that we get enough sleep? We eat the right foods. We spend our time with the people who lift us up rather than who always drag us down. Um, Are we getting enough exercise and movement? And are we getting enough, um, you know, the things that fill our cup and give us joy? Because if we're lacking in any of those areas for a long period of time, then we're not going to be the leader that we know we can be. Mm. I think that's very interesting as well because um, recently I just did a team training day with my teaching staff and we talked about our core values as a business and we have our immutable laws and our core values. And, uh, you know, we did talk about many things, including, you know, one of our core values, which sounds really horrible from the outset, but it's actually quite important, is no toxic people allowed. Like, we're not going to tolerate toxicity within the team, within our client base, um, with external providers. We want to create a safe, you know, a safe space, but a really positive culture. And so that has actually been really an important part of, of what we do. And I think, you know, protecting those parts of your business. And that's a part of self-care too, not allowing yourself to be, you know, ruled by a negative teacher in your team that's just not aligned to you and your business and what you want to achieve and knowing when it's time to let go of people or when it's time to nurture people and train them. And, you know, there's that fine line. Is there a line where you go, right, 
I can lead them, manage them, nurture them. And if I don't see a change or the change mm. isn't fast enough, you know, when do we let people go? When is it time to say goodbye to people in our team that are not aligned with us or clients or students? I'm nodding my head off with everything you're saying. For those of you who, um, you know, are watching, um, it's there's so many good questions in there. And one of the things that I feel is really important to think about is what are your boundaries as a business? And I know we all talk a lot. I talk a lot about boundaries as individuals. And I'm now starting to talk to a lot of my clients around how do you create boundaries in your organization? And that, as you've said, comes back down to your values. And if one of your um, values and immutable laws is no toxic people, then what does that look like in the, in practice? And what does it look like if you have a really good performer who's not a good person? And it's a challenge that so many businesses and organisations are facing. Um, and I look at, you know, I'm a big cricket fan and David Warner being put back into the Australian cricket team after his sandpaper cheating episode filled me with so much rage because it's saying to so many young cricketers, you can cheat and you can still play for Australia. Mm. And what message is that sending? And so the more that you can hold your ground with having the right people, the bigger benefit you'll have. Not only will you have a stronger reputation because you'll have the right people working with you that espouse your organisational values, but you're, you'll probably have less turnover because you won't have um, um, people who are behaving in ways that lead to discomfort for the other good people who then leave. Mm. I've got a friend who's um, who's a teacher in, in a school, not, not a dance studio, and she's got an issue with the school principal at the school that she's at, and they're going through some mediation at the moment. And one of and she said to me, one of the questions I was asked is, what do I want out of this? Do I want to be um, relocated to another school? And I said to her, hang about, you've just told me you've had six staff, either teaching or senior admin staff, leave in the last 12 months because of the hate behaviour of the principal, why do you need to leave? Mm. Why is she not leaving? Yes. And so I said, you need to be asking these questions when you have the mediation or when you speak to the principal's, you know, um, managers. Why is this happening? Like why, why do so many good people leave because there's a bad person who might be, you know, they might be the rainmaker or they might be the popular teacher or they might be just, you know, doing some other positive thing that is making money or generating a revenue or or she might they might be the draw card but why do they get rewarded for poor behavior and i think that's really interesting because what can happen in our industry is that people sometimes want to throw in the towel because they're so unhappy within the business that they've created and and you know it could be a, a culture issue and they just want to throw in the town and say, look, I'm I'm out of this game. I want to, you know, close down my studio doors. And it's like, well, what is it? If you can identify the things that are making you want to leave, and if it is a culture issue, then that is something that can be fixed and can be changed. But it is about setting those boundaries, is it? And recognizing what is it that needs to change rather than yeah. throw in the towel and that's it. <laughs> it's and, the same philosophy. Like, you know, it is uh, it, the teacher feeling like she has to leave and the studio owner feeling like they have to leave when really they just need to, to sort of sort out that culture issue. Um, you talk about think, in so the just before Just before we move on from this topic, I think the other thing to be really clear about is how do you hire people? 
So what are the questions you're asking when you hire? And I interviewed um, for the book, which you'll read if you haven't read already, yeah, the CEO of a nonprofit. And he said um, in the however many years he'd been CEO, five or six years, they only had two bad hires and people who they had to let go because they just weren't the right fit. And he went back through their recruitment process and he realized with those two people they hired really quickly because they were a bit desperate and they didn't go through their customary values questions that they always ask and as ceo he always meets with any final hire he gets final say so on anybody um and they've got under 200 staff so he can do that but he said i always ask them three questions and one of the questions is what are three words that your previous um, employer would use to describe you what are three words that your um that a staff member or somebody who worked under you and it could be in your case a parent or a student or another colleague what what would three words be that they would use to describe you and he said if those three words aren't the same you've got a values disconnect mm. That's and I thought that was really, really interesting. And there's a third question he asked, and I've forgotten what it is. Um, but I thought that's really interesting because how do you, and then if those three things that, that they say don't align with your values as within your organisation, then think twice before you make an offer to that person. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny, I actually have quite a thorough hiring process, which some would say is totally over the top. I've trained it actually live in a conference um, uh, we, just earlier last year. And some people are like, oh my God, you go through all of this to hire someone? I'm like, yes. Yeah. So, you know, first step being um, they have to watch my video. And at the end of the video, it's only a few minutes, at the end of the video, there's a line that I say that they have to email back to me um, and let me know that they're interested. But it's quite specific. It's it's basically a task, but it's a simple task. It's email me this line so I know you've watched the video right through. And I can tell straight away who the people are that actually listened to three minutes of a video and who didn't. Then they enter in uh, a survey before I even meet. This is all before I even have a conversation with them. Then there's a quick survey then they move on to the next round. And, and there's a few different rounds before we ever even meet in person. Um, there's a phone interview before I meet them in person, all these things. Now, recently, I almost broke my own rule. Almost. I was in a situation um, I mentioned actually in the last episode or a few episodes ago, depending when this is released, um, that you know, my mother was quite sick and she passed away and I had this, this process happening. And due to that, my mental state wasn't 100%. I thought, you know what, I'm not going to go through this process with this rehire. I'm just going to hire him. He came recommended, yada, yada, yada. Anyway, and then I went, no, 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 Joe, at least jump on a bloody Zoom call and do it properly. Yeah, do it, just do at least a couple of the steps. So I jump on the Zoom call and I went through my questionnaire, my interview questionnaire, which talks about values and whatnot, different to what you've explained, but still similar in, in the sense that I'm gauging if we're aligned. And they were so not aligned. It was insane. And I thought, oh, my God, I nearly just hired you in my head. I didn't say that to them. I nearly just hired you. And they literally said to me in the interview, I've never had this, someone say this to me before, oh, I've got another teaching gig. And to be honest, if they ask me to fill in on those dates that you said you need me on a regular, I'm going to have to prioritize them over you and stuff like that. And I thought, wow. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't. 
You don't say that in an interview. No, but, oh, no. thank God I didn't hire this person. Like they are just so far from what I'm looking for. But yeah, and that was because I nearly didn't follow the process and I nearly did, even though I coach it and I teach it and I do all the things, but we all have our moments, we all stumble. And it's such a good reminder. So yeah. if you had if you had hired him because you hadn't followed the process and you realize really quickly, because you would have, that there was a values misalignment, what would you have done? Oh, that's the hard part, isn't it? Because yeah. you you know, my coaching self says. We'd have to quickly fire them, get a replacement. But in the moment, it it's quite heavy. It's hard work. Yep. It feels overwhelming. And so you yep. might keep them for that little bit longer than you probably should have, right? And yep. then, you yep. know, you risk so much more toxic culture. Once they start not showing up because they think I don't prioritise you, then they're setting an example for everyone else in the building, you know. Yep. So, yeah, yep. it's it's just that blow-on effect and it can cause that toxicity. So they're a great cover teacher, but it's not someone I'd want on my permanent team. And that's okay. So it's just about, you know, deciding those sorts of things as well. Studio owners, are you ready to accelerate the growth of your studio biz in 2024? Then join me from January 30th through to February 1st this year in Studio Accelerator. This is a free coaching week. Register now via joeweek.com. Here you'll learn how to earn $20,000 plus more in your studio biz. You'll also learn the Studio Enrollment Highway which is your marketing roadmap. And you'll learn the key to growing your studio income as well as your community engagement, which is so important. So get ready to attract, retain and enroll your students this year with Studio Accelerator. Register now. Link is in the show notes. You do talk about in the book, actually, I wanted to mention this, you talk about uh, those core values and you list actually quite a few values there. I'm interested to know what your core values are when it comes to leadership and, and that sort of Ooh. thing. My, um, my oh, that's a really good question. Um, learning is a really core value for me and being willing to um, you know, learn from mistakes, but also self-education and wanting to, you know, be a better person. So I do a lot of, I invest a lot of time and energy in in self-education, whether it's formal through university or, you know, casual through going on podcasts and learning new, you know, learning Kajabi and all those fun fun things. Um, health is a core value for me and and. and prioritizing my health and encouraging the people who I work with to be prioritizing theirs. Um another one. Oh I'm having a mental blank. Today's my yeah. first official day back at work and so I'm actually having to use my brain for the what first you, time in ages. <laughs> in relation to the values you search for in uh, other comes to team. I look I look for people who aren't scared of saying no, mm. who have clear boundaries in place and who uphold them. Um, I look for people who are really good at um communicating negative as well as positive so and and managing expectations um i was working with someone a couple of years ago who was always really late in getting me information and it was mm. just a really good reminder that i probably hadn't trained as well as i could have but she didn't manage my expectations and so we had regular um she had regular deadlines and she was always missing them 
And so if she'd missed, and I always build in a buffer. So if she'd said to me on a Monday, I'm not going to get this until Wednesday, that would have been completely fine. But not getting it to me on Wednesday and not telling me until Thursday, I'm not going to get it till Friday. That's not fine. Yeah, totally. Um, I actually had yeah. a teacher recently that's um, moved on this year, um, which I knew was coming actually, which I'm, I wasn't too sad about. Um, but they were literally the same. We were nearly at the end of our show season. There was only a couple of weeks left, but they'd really dropped the ball and they were not responding to any communication like, hey, we just need to know the name of your person that you want to select for our trophy nominations, blah, blah, blah. They just would be non-responsive. I mean, we would try text email, Facebook group posts in there for our team, all of it. And they were completely non-responsive. And due to that, we just, I knew they were on the way out. Just that behavior actually was a red flag that I've seen over my decade of, you know, studio ownership. And I'm like, I said to my customer experience manager, who's my admin support, I said, I think they're they're on their way out and they're about to leave us. And literally within a week, she was handing in a resignation. You can tell, right? You can tell when someone's oh, checked out. The problem yeah. is, the, the good thing is, is that she resigned and it was fine and whatever, we all move on. The problem is if she didn't resign and she just hated the job and she was checked out and stayed on, that's, uh, that, that's where the real issue occurs. Um, yeah, and there's so the many people things? who that there's so many people who are checked out and showing up every day, um, and the technical term for that is they're 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 so we've got absenteeism and presenteeism, and they're um, exhibiting presenteeism, which means they're physically present but mentally not, and so mm -hmm. it can be a really difficult thing to identify. Um, one, and if you were going to ask how do you deal with those people, then the main thing I think is to just have get to know your staff, get to know the people who you're leading and get to know get to know them on as personal a level as you possibly can, as well as on a professional level. So the more you build trust with your with your staff and with your team, the more likely they are to, to tell you when things aren't going right for them. And so then you can work together to find a solution. And sometimes the solution is find another job. Um, but sometimes it's you might need some time off, you might need some more training, you might need some more coaching, you might need less responsibility. could be any number of things because everybody's got stuff going on in their lives at home and at work. And so often we don't talk about the home stuff at work and we need to. Yeah. I think you've said something really interesting there. Um, you talk about, you know, forming a relationship. Now, I'm going to, and actually this brings me to another thing that was in your book around vulnerability. Now, I want to mm. talk about this because there's the old school way of being the boss and then there's the new school way of being the boss. And the old school way, I think, was you definitely don't, you, you don't befriend your team. You're not, in my mind, I still have a, I have a line there where I'm like, they're not actually my friends. They're not my No, friends. they're not. But there's a really big difference between being friends and being friendly. And you can have really good personal relationships with with your staff without being friends. Mm. And I believe there's that line as well. It's really difficult to be friends with your staff because if you have to, um, you know, if you have to chastise them or if you have to let them know of all the things that are going wrong, then it's really hard to do that and discipline them. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah, um, it's really absolutely. hard to do that with a friend. And so... But there's nothing to say you can't be friendly. There's nothing to say you can't ask questions like, how was your weekend? Oh, did you go to the beach? Oh, I went to the beach as well. What's your favourite beach? 
um, and to share, you know, big picture things about what's happening in your life that might require some vulnerability. Mm. And I think a really good example of this is one of my clients was had a staff member who um, was just, she just suddenly stopped performing. And I said to my client, do you know what's going on in her personal life? And she said, I know there's stuff going on, but she won't talk to me about what it is. And I said, well, does she know about all of the total shit show that's going on in your personal life right now? Because this client was going through the super ugly divorce that was getting about to get dragged through the courts. And she said, no, she doesn't. And I said, I feel like you need to be letting your team know what's happening in your personal world. You definitely don't need to let them know the gory details, but you should at least let them know that you're currently going through a relationship breakdown and it's going to the court. Yeah. And so that will let them treat you with more kindness and be more gentle and also be more understanding when you're not doing all of the things that they expect of you because you will be dropping the ball at some stage over the next few months. It's just human nature. And it also might encourage some other people in your team to share some of the crappy things happening to them right now. So do you think, because I, I find this um, an interesting topic, and again, I'm just going back to the book where you talk about vulnerability, and I think, you know, as a leader, it's hard to know when you're being too vulnerable because mm. you don't want them to feel as though they can walk all over you or, um, yeah. yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. I just find this a little bit uh, of an uncertain area when it comes to yeah, it vulnerability is. And, scale. And, and- And so much of it depends on the existing relationship you've got with people. You know, if it's your first day in the job and you're, um, you know, you've got a new team, then you might might not want to say, by the way, my personal life's just gone to shit in the last few weeks. But you might, you know, want to share. There's there's levels of what you can share in terms of vulnerability and in terms of what you're comfortable sharing from a personal perspective. And even if it's just, here's a cute picture of my dog. Or I've got children. I've worked with somebody many years ago. I worked with someone for three years. I did not know that he had three children mm. because he never talked about them. And, and he had nothing personal in his office. And I found out by chance that he had a kid when he had to um, miss a bit of school, miss a bit of work because one of his kids was in hospital. And I'm like, what do you mean he's got three kids? Yeah. It was just really... It it made me feel if you haven't told us that fundamental thing about who you are, what else haven't you told us? Mm. And there'd be a little bit like friendships, actually. I've Mm. got that in friendships where Mm. um, something quite, I I thought someone was a very good friend of mine, I mean, for 20 years, and a really significant thing happened where their partner moved out and and we were speaking on the phone nearly every day. And she blatantly just said, oh, she just said it like, oh, yeah, you know, because he, and I said, oh, when did he move out? It was all like a couple of months ago. And I'm like, oh, why didn't you tell me? Like, we we talk all the time. And, and I actually, it made me actually feel a little bit unsure about our relationship. And I went, oh, I don't know if we're actually as close as I thought we were in my, in my mind. That's what I thought. Mm, and then it I've made had a few functions. Yeah, and and I'm wondering, it does make you think that sometimes. So the Mm. same can happen Mm. in a working environment um, when there's something significant and you've been working alongside someone for several years and then it's like, oh, okay, well, I I thought we had a better relationship than that. 
Yeah, yeah. so that can be quite interesting. I and do think it's important to not get too hurt by it, though, like especially yeah. in a working environment. Like there is, again, that line about being friendly and friends. So, you know, I, I do find that interesting. But what I would love to talk to you about, because I know, you know, we're going to come to this the end of the show soon, but I would love to talk about conflict, right? Mm. So when it comes to building a strong team, how do you handle conflict within a team and really ensure that there's that open communication? <laughs> I had a boss years ago um, who took me and my colleague. We were at the same level. We both managed people. We were part of the same team and we did not get on. And it was it was really interesting because I hired her and I'd been really, I was so conscious of not hiring somebody like me because like often hires like that I hired someone who was the polar opposite of me in pretty much every single way. I think the only similarity is that we were both female. And um, and we just clashed for lots of different reasons. And our boss took us out for lunch one day and said, right, you two order, here's some drinks, don't come back to the office until you've sorted yourselves out. Mm. The team know that mummy and mummy are not getting on. You need to fix it. And it was very harsh and it worked because we sat there and we talked about all of the things that we thought we might have had in common. And we had heaps of things in common once we got past the initial, um, I don't think there's anything in common. And so conflict, um, it, conflict is something that comes up in all organisations and I think that you, it's really important to understand what's the cause of the conflict. And for us, it was a turf war. Mm -hmm. um, and so once we realised that, we started working together really, really well because we just divided the work that we had to do. We divided the projects. It was basically you pick one, I pick one. And so we both got good stuff and we both got crap stuff. And um, And that was the source of the conflict. But I think it, it, the more you can do to work out what is causing it, the better off you'll be in finding a solution. And so often, you know, you might need to bring in a mediator or you might need to send them both off to get some counselling or you might need to just get a third party of some sort involved um, if you can't figure it out and if they won't talk to you. The other thing that's really important is talk to each of the people who are involved in the conflict separately and just try to be as non-judgmental as possible and just say what's going on because it, it's often something really tiny that can snowball into something that's not tiny. Totally. Mm. And it can destroy, um, in a studio environment, it can destroy a class, a program. Oh. I had a, um, a teacher that was running one of our um, sites and she had an assistant teacher and they had conflict. They didn't oh. get on, which was really hard because they literally worked side by side. Yeah. Uh, so I tried to manage it, mitigate it as best I could. There did come a point, though, where I had to make a decision and let one of them go because it just wasn't being resolved. It was that tit for tat yeah. blaming she didn't do this, she didn't do that, and it was just constant and it went on for months no matter the conversation, the, you know, all the things that we tried to do, the mediation. And I thought, oh, it's not and sometimes, And sometimes that is the only solution. One of them has to leave. Mm, mm. and it's you can you know yes. you can give them and sometimes you can give them the choice which one of you one of you has to leave which one's going to be have you can you either made, figure it out yourselves yeah, yeah. have you ever um, made a mistake as a as a leader yourself but you've regretted or thought that you could have done better in your oh, in your all the time 
all the time. When I was running the Microsoft events, I was not a good person to be around because <laughs> I was doing, we did 300 events in a year with six people and there was a lot of conflict because there was a lot of stress and there was, um, we were all exhausted. I was getting about four to five hours of sleep a night. I was traveling a lot and it was really we didn't have the resources that we needed. We didn't have enough people. We didn't have enough money. Um, we didn't have, it was in the late nineties. So there wasn't a lot of understanding around, around personal um, time and self-care. It was, there was this culture in the marketing and advertising industry in, and many other industries in the nineties was that you just did whatever you had to do. It didn't matter what the personal cost was. Mm. And so my whole team burnt out. And, you know, I know that I was definitely so far from being my best self. It was ridiculous. But I was so caught up in meeting the needs of the clients, trying to build my profile, trying to elevate my career, um, that I didn't think about self-care until it was almost too late. Um, and my doctor said to me one day, I don't know how you're walking around. You've got blood pressure that's higher than anyone I've ever seen with your age. And if you don't, start making some different decisions and taking care of yourself, you'll probably have a stroke before you turn 30. Mm. And I was nearly, I was 33 months after that conversation. And that was, you know, over 20 years ago and I'm still here. So obviously I listened. Um, but sometimes you need to make the hard decisions about yourself as well. What is it that you need? What are your priorities? And, you know, I love that you talk about your values so much. So for all of the people who are listening, are you really clear on what your values are? And are you really clear on the core priorities in your life as they relate to your values? So one of my other values is security. And, you know, that's changed a lot over the years. In my 20s, security looked like physically being safe when I backpacked around the world. When I was in my 30s, security looked like earning enough money so I could buy a house so that I didn't ever have to rent again and risk getting kicked out by an unscrupulous landlord or when the owner wanted to sell. In my 40s um, and now I'm in my 50s, a lot of my security is around financial security for my future. How much money do I need? What do I need to, what does that look like? How much do I need to earn? What does retirement look like? Um, or maybe not retirement, but winding down from work. How do I feel about that? And so those priorities inform the decisions that I make. Mm. And so have a think about what are your values and priorities and how does that impact on your decisions? There's so many people I know who say family is my core value and my priority, but they work 18 hours a day and never see their kids. So yeah. is it really? Yes. And that's a really hard thing to identify sometimes. Mm. Too. It takes space and time. You actually need to create the space to think and, and come up with those, you know, solutions and, you know, identifying yep. those issues. And sometimes we're so caught in the grind that we don't make the space that we truly need to identify that. So that's probably one of the big takeaways here is really identifying what it is that you need and expect from not only your team, but your own self, your life, what yeah. you're looking for. And that actually can lead to great leadership, a, a great, you know, a great life, a great business because you yeah. become aligned with your core values. It does. And I think one of the easiest ways to give yourself that thinking space is have a think about what do you do for yourself? Do you go out for a walk? Do you go for a swim? Do you do exercise? And 
do you do it on your own or do you do it with other people? And if you do it on your own, are you, are you listening to music or podcasts or an audio book while you're doing it? Because that's all taking from the space. Um, you know, I, I look a lot at what Steve Jobs did, founder of Apple, and he went for a walk every day for between an hour and an hour and a half, and he was never plugged in. He wasn't ever listening to music or podcasts or other people because that was his thinking time. And if you haven't gone for a walk or a swim or a jog on your own lately with nothing plugged in, go do it and just see where your mind takes you. It can I find it can take about 20 minutes for my mind to just start to mindlessly think about things. And the number of times I've gone on a walk and just um, had to stop to take notes of all of the ideas that have popped into my head. That's so spend some alone time. Yeah, take some time alone because that, and I know it can be really hard, particularly as a business owner and if you're a parent and if you're in, you know, have a partner and if you've got a big life that most of us have, but you'll just get the value so much more than you will ever imagine if it's something that you haven't done before. Mm, that's that's amazing. Now, uh, I'd love to know how do you define success? Like what does success look like to you? Oh, look, success to me is um, doing something I love every day and being happy every day, even if it's just for 30 seconds of happiness because some days it's hard to find that. But for me, it's creating a space where I can make the time to do what I love. Mm. Who or what yeah. inspires you most? Oh, um, I'm inspired by other people in business and other entrepreneurs and people who just overcome challenges to get stuff done and live the life that they want to live. Yeah. And uh, mm. is there anyone in particular that you're, you know, you're you're listening to or reading about at the moment or being coached by or whatever? Like, is there anyone out there that you could, you know, let us know or, or recommend? Um. But not really. Like I listen to a lot of different things and I read really widely. Um, I love the work of Brene Brown, mm. particularly her work around boundaries and um, where she says clear is kind and unclear is unkind. Like I try really hard to to focus on that most days. Um, but, yeah, no, I just there's not really any one person, excuse me, that I can point to and go, yes, you're my inspiration. I like that though. Clear is mm. kind and unclear is unkind. That's a yeah. perspective. Yeah, so tell us, it? Mel, um, what's next? You've all, you've written a book. I mean, that's that's a big one. <laughs> what's next Thanks. for Mel Kettle? I'm starting to think about my next book. So that's actually my second book. My first mm. book was about social media for associations that came out about gosh ages ago. Thinking about another book, maybe on boundaries. Um, I'm creating some online programs. I've got one on boundaries. I've got my Thriving Leaders program, which is launching again in February. Uh, and just looking at what is it that I can do to create more space and programs in an online world um, and then focus on my in-person clients as well. Amazing. And how can people find thanks. you if they want to search for you? And we'll make sure we pop a link in the show notes for you as well. Yeah, thanks. Everything is probably through my website, melkettle.com. If you Google my name, I own the first, I don't know, three or four or five pages of Google. One of the joys of having a not so common name. Um, <laughs> and if you search me on LinkedIn, you'll find me on Instagram. You'll find me. I'm at melkettle almost everywhere. Beautiful. 
Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I've absolutely loved it. Everyone listening, go and get Fully Connected by Mel Kettle. It's a great read and I think it's going to be, it's more than just about leadership and communication. Mm. It's about really finding that energy and joy as well, which I think is so important. Thanks, Mel, for being on the show. Thanks so much, Joe. Great to talk to you. This episode was brought to you by my signature group coaching program, Studio Biz Success an amazing and accessible online educational platform for performing arts studio owners designed to help you grow your business with confidence and get your results. Check it out at josephinelancuba.com along with other great industry resources to help you leap into the studio biz you deserve. If you love this episode, be sure to share it with your friends. You can tag me on social media at josephinelancuba and give it a review. Your support helps the show to grow so I can continue to provide you with useful, informative content. I'm Josephine Lane Cuba, your biggest cheerleader. Thanks for listening and shine bright.